and the communication dynamic is such a critical thing working in the front office, between the front office, between the coaches, between the, the, the business side, between the community. And it's something that I think is, is a huge area of opportunity. Um, I didn't know what to expect, uh, but every one of those guys have delivered on, on what my expectations were and they've met my, exceeded my expectations in, in some ways from their, their willingness to communicate too. That was Matt Lloyd. I'm your host, Marnie Gellner, and this is Wolves Plus. I'm on the hustle for the glory, on the grind for the crown. Not to hustle if you want to, if you do, you're going down. Oh! Great catch, great finish. Towns to go bam. Come on now. That's playing with flow. Towns for three! Carl it is Carl Anthony Towns for court. certainly is. Edwards, spinning and finishing! So, Matt, you grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I was looking for Matt Lloyd, hometown. Like, all I see is suburbs of Chicago. Mm -hmm. What's your hometown? So, I grew up uh, in the western suburbs of Chicago in a town called Itasca. Um, we had moved around a little bit, but it's all in that, like, six-mile radius. So, Bensonville, Itasca, um, Wooddale, lived in all three of those towns. Um, Went to a high, the, the local high school there, and basically the, the, the way that I describe it is that it's just right by O'Hare. So the planes okay. would land right on top of us the whole time. Um, it's 25 miles outside of the city of Chicago, so I'm mm -hmm. like proud to be a Chicagoan for yeah. sure. I'm familiar with O'Hare in that area, and it, there, it is a rather residential area. So you're one of those houses, if we look out when you see, landing... Yep. Yep, yeah, you know flying into Chicago, coming in the western side, you, you saw my house every single time, wow. for sure. You were raised by a single mother, named Louise. Yep. So you and your sister Kelly, pretty close. Your mom, Louise, put herself through nursing school. Yes. Worked a lot of nights, weekends, double shifts, all the things that nurses do. What do you remember about her either work ethic or being gone or or just the things that she did when you were a kid and you and your sister to try to just help raise you and provide yeah. this family. I think um, probably the best way to describe her, she's one of the tougher people I've ever come across in life. And again, like that's all coming with perspective of um, being almost 50 years old and kind of being able to look back. And what she did was like, you know, genuinely every morning provide a um, example of diligence and toughness that I apply every day I think I, I hope I hope um, she was you know she was really young um, when I was born she was 18 years old she was about to turn 19 and her whole life changed in that moment you know and uh, uh, so when she when we, she was a single mom and and we lived with my grandparents for a while and then we got an apartment and it was kind of a smaller place and but at the time, like, I didn't really know what was good or bad or, 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 or nice or not nice. And, you know, we lived in a little tiny um, condo and it was great. I mean, like we, we got my uncles would come pick me up. We'd go do something. My grandparents would come pick us up. We'd go do something. I didn't really ever feel like like I was missing anything. And it was all because she just tried to every day kind of approach things with a positive attitude and provide an example of like what hard work can get you mm -hmm. and um, she got married when I was 14 uh, and we moved to a house um, 
down, like in the next town over, but it was really kind of the first example of, you know, living in a bigger space. I had my own room and that, that was, that was something, but she just really always set an example of, you know, what hard work can get you if you put everything into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was always about others around her. And it's like, if I think in our family, she would be pretty easy to say she was the point guard. She was always making the assist. And, um, I know all the things that she sacrificed uh, in her life to make sure that my sister and my life were were great, and it's you know something you can never really repay. But it, at the same time, it was a great example. And that's a great testament too. If you don't have a lot, but you don't even know it, yep. because you're happy, that is a great testament. Yep. So I had read that your mom every Christmas would yep. buy you whatever the latest edition of came out every year, the Rick Barry Pro Basketball Scouting Report. Yep. So this is um, a write-up of every, every NBA player. You and your best friend would read yep. this thing cover to cover? Yeah, oh yeah, easy. As a kid. Easy. This, this was your entertainment. Yes, that was, and it was, I kind of love the, um, the proliferation of analytics within the NBA. Like they have these staffs now and they're all younger people. They're all, um, and I would tell them that this is, this was the internet when I was your age. You know, like this was, right. all the yes. information was in here. And I actually, um, the, the person that was responsible for writing that book, like the ghostwriter, is a scout for the L.A. Clippers now. Okay, and so not Rick Barry. Yeah, it's not Rick Barry. He was like the ghostwriter. He was for the one sure. that was compiling all the information. Um, and I had seen him on the road many times over the last 10 years, 15 years, whatever. And I would always tell him, tell him that same exact story. And um, I received uh, this year one of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten. He sent me a copy of every single edition of the book. Um, in a, I got it in a box when I come, came home from a road trip here, um, and it was so nice. It was one of the, ex the nicest gifts I've ever gotten because it really made me think about those times. And mm -hmm. the, the kind of the, um, the level of detail that he put into those books was, he has no idea, and I've told him this, but he has no idea the, the amount of influence it had on me because to, I would find myself reading you know, John Paxson's in, uh, entry into that book every year and thinking, how, can I get paid to do this? You know, can I figure out a way to um, do what th this guy, this author is doing mm -hmm. and ap apply it, you know, going forward? Uh, turns out the answer is yes, you can get paid <laughs> yeah, for exactly. doing that. Yes, exactly. indeed. Um, so you ended up going to school at Illinois, Chicago. Yes. And worked your way through college in uh, the sports information department of the, the school. Then I also read that you logged video on game nights for the White Sox and the Bulls. Yeah, so um, one of my best friends growing up, um, he developed the, the video room for the White Sox. Um, it's a long story as to how he got there. Then my other best friend growing up, he hired him to, uh, to work game nights. And one night they were short, and he called me and said, hey, if you can get here in you know, an hour and a half, I, I can get you in tonight and then we can see what happens. And I literally drove nine, 90 miles an hour from the suburbs of Chicago to, um, to uh, the White Sox Park to, to participate. And then he knew how much I loved basketball and they were starting to do this. The owner of the White Sox owns the Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf, mm -hmm. and they wanted to do the same thing for the Bulls. And he said, hey, if we get this finalized, I'll get you in. And then I started working game night for the, the Bulls in 1994. Um, logging video for NBA Entertainment, logging video for the coaches staff, doing video projects, and it was not the application of video 
as we understand it in the NBA now with digital video editing equipment, it was VCR to VCR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so time code. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I haven't heard time codes in a long time. <laughs> and that is, uh, we had to know all the time codes. We had to know the in and out points. Um, but it was, it was again, luck to, to have had that friend who, and then have the other friend that kind of got me in. Sure. And, yep. um, once I got there, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't have her have to leave. We, I worked game night for the Bulls from um, 1994 um, to, to about the 99 season, 98-99 season, then got hired full-time in the marketing department for mm -hmm. a couple of yep. years. And then from there, got hired into basketball operations. So so that's where I'd like to ask you about uh, the that sort of progression because Jerry Krause was the GM when he resigned in 2003. It was John Paxson. Yep who succeeded him and you and John Paxson had formed some kind of a friendship or working relationship with him after he was a player, then a broadcaster. So he stayed around the organization over here. You're with the organization over here. And then it's John Paxson who actually hires you out of that media relations, public relations and into the front office side yeah. of the Bulls. Yeah. So Jerry, um, Jerry had been really influential in my life too, because he had uh, Jerry Krause because um, he had taken notice of me when I was in the video room and um, I get hired into the PR department and we maintained our relationship from afar. I never wanted to like, um, you know, force myself on him or anything, but he would always ask me like, can you give me some stats on player X? Boom, done. Um, and then as he kept going, uh, or as I kept growing within the, the uh, uh, Bulls organization full time, he came to me at one point and said, I'm gonna train you how to be a scout. Let's go out to lunch. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was, I this is Jerry almost, Krause. Yes, yes, this is Jerry Krause, the GM of the Chicago Bulls. He had won six championships and he had um, made the suggestion to try to train me to be a scout. And so we sat together a couple times. He sent me to the Big, End, the Big Ten tournament, um, was at the United Center for the first time. And he said, uh, I want you to sit at the Big Ten tournament because the, the Bulls were on the road. I want you to sit at the Big Ten tournament and, and write up Bracey Wright was his name. He was an player in Indiana. So I wrote up a scouting report or what I thought was a scouting report referencing, you know, the Rick Barry, All you know, the, you exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, he said, this is really a good start. And here's a couple things you need to watch and mm -hmm. look for. He gave me a um, couple notebooks full of his scouting reports. I still have them. And really? yeah, they're in his wife told me I could keep them. Um, they're in a uh, um, in a closet at home and they're going to stay there forever. Someday I'm going to have them like framed and everything. But then John took over and John and I had developed a really good relationship um, because he was the radio uh, color commentator and working in the PR staff. You know, I was kind of feeding him stuff all the time and, and he had we would sit together on the plane and we'd had great conversations. And he said, I don't know exactly what the role will be, but I do want to hire you on to the basketball staff. And so I kind of just came in and and was on the basketball staff initially and I was trying to help like, help with credentialing help with um, putting all of our information together you know gathering information making binders for our scouts and we had a very small staff so there was always opportunity and um, then they started to allow me to scout after the first year and then that grew into one thing grew into the next thing um, and it ended up you know a, gr a great 15 years there so your time with the Bulls, depending, I guess, on how far you go back to the unofficial work, to the being yep. hired, so we're talking a good 15 years. Yeah, it was 17 years total. Okay, yep. 17 total with that organization. Then you get an opportunity with the Orlando Magic, hired on as the assistant 
general manager. Yep. Um, then eventually the vice president of basketball operations. But that leap from what you were doing with the Bulls and kind of starting it on the ground level and them seeing potential and meeting with Jerry Krause and working with John Paxson. Now, when you move to Orlando, where you probably don't have the same roots, but you're also front office elevated. This is like suit and tie. Mm -hmm. This is I've got people under me. Was this a leap or just like the natural kind of easy next step? That is such a great question. So I think that it was a bigger leap than I may have thought of at the time. In this, again, like debriefing, looking back, um, it was an amazing opportunity yep. because I had gotten, you, you just pointed it out, I had gotten, um, kind of gone up all these levels in Chicago, uh, but at some level, subconsciously, you're probably still the guy that was in the video room, you know, to a degree. We had really amazing success the five, last five years I was there. We had drafted well. Um, the team had, a, we were 60 and 22 one season. We'd gone to the Eastern Conference Finals. A lot of it was due to the work that um, we were doing as a group. And, and a lot of it was because of John Paxson, and a lot of it was because of Gar Foreman. And the work that we had collectively done at the, to, to scout, to evaluate, to know who we were, to know what would work. Um, and the players were incredible. We had mm -hmm. a 1.9% chance to get the number one pick in the draft. Um, we we got the number one pick in the draft. It was Derrick Rose. 1.9%. 1.9% chance um, that year. And we had made the playoffs, and we missed the playoffs for one year. We had a 1.9% chance. We get Derrick Rose. Three years later, he's the, the MVP yeah. of the league. The guy was incredible. Um, and it was such a great opportunity to put players around him and by identifying what you know what he needed to be successful, what Joe Kim Noah needed to be mm -hmm. successful, what Luol Deng needed. And um, so the – the, Rob Hennigan was the GM of the Orlando Magic. He and I had been friends um, on the scouting trail. We were around the same age. And he asked me if I would come be the assistant GM. And um, I, it was an opportunity I, I couldn't pass up. And to go from an organization like the, the Bulls that has just championship, 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 yep. to the Magic where it's like we're trying to get there, we're trying to get yep. there. That, those have to be incredibly different and valuable, but yep. very different experiences. Yep, I, I'm not, I would never trade um, any experience I've had because they've all, the the, the diversity in, in seeing things. I've been part of teams that have been the worst record in the league with the number one pick. I've been a part of teams that have had the best record in the league with the 30th pick. And so my, oppor the opportunity for me is to apply everything that went right in those situations and everything that went sure. wrong in those situations because I've seen everything in the last, uh, you know, whatever it is, 20 years. And, um, the opportunity in Orlando was 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 awesome, and in many ways, um, I got to learn stuff from a leadership perspective and managing people perspective that I had no access to. In Chicago, it was basically the last five years I was there. We were on, we were, we had a really good thing going. I would scout all the players. Um, I would tell John and Gar and Eva Kadukan and uh, Dave Bowinkle and Jay Hillock, "Hey, let's go see these guys." They would do it, and then we'd make a draft pick. And uh, inevitably, it, it worked out. In Orlando, I had a staff that I was working with, and they were looking to me for leadership. They were looking to me, and it was nothing I had, it was something I was probably ill-prepared for at the beginning, grew into as it, as it progressed. Um, yeah, the Orlando experience was, was excellent, and, and, and prepared me for a lot. Yeah, and prepared you for this? Yep. I'm sure all of it did. You kind of add up all of your experiences and you're leading somewhere. One of your one of the places it's led is you in Minnesota. Yep. And you and Tim Connolly, 
Did you meet at a DePaul basketball game in 2004? Yeah, so I think it was either 2003 or 2004. I'm not sure which year it was. I mean, I guess because the internet is, is exists, we could figure out which game it was. But we met, we sat next to each other. We were, we were um, assigned seats right next to each other. The DePaul scouting seat is one of the better ones on the circuit at the time, at the old okay. Rosemont Horizon, mm -hmm. now the Allstate Arena. And I walked in, and that day um, he had been – he had been promoted to the assistant director of player personnel. And I had gotten the press release into my email box and remembered the name. And I just mentioned to him, hey, congrats on your promotion. Just because we had been sitting and we struck up a conversation. Again, because we were around the same age, the majority of people who are our contemporaries as scouts were a little bit older at the sure. time. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to connect with someone that had similar interests and a similar age. and. Um, things we could bounce off one another about, like traveling difficulties. Um, I got his number. We exchanged information, and uh, our friendship kind of took off from there. Um, and it's hard to believe it's, you know, 18, 19 years later, and we're, we get the opportunity to work together. But when he got the chance to, to take over as the president of basketball operations here, and he called that day to um, recruit me, it was something I couldn't pass up. He is, mm -hmm. He's a cult of personality he's got such a um, relentless communication style he's a relentlessly positive person and the results in denver speak for themselves everything he had done in denver from team building perspective from scouting perspective from application of his communication abilities to the players i um the chance to have exposure to it was 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 too great i, I had to take the chance when when tim called and hired you and or offered the job however it progresses, one of the things that the people here with the Timberwolves side said struck them about you was that you made it a point to reach out to this organization and people within it individually to kind of make it clear that you are coming in to work with them. You're not hired as, hey, I'm going to be your boss and this is what's going down and this is how we're going to run things, that you wanted to make sure they knew these Timberwolves people who are already in place, this is going to be collaborative and we're going to work together. Why did you feel like that was an important thing to do coming into this job? I had some pre-existing relationships with the, some of the staff members that were, were here, um, and I didn't want them to uh, take an impression that I was going to come and you know, blow things up from a process standpoint or blow things up from, um, I, I'm not, I'm just not like that as a person. I I I, I, I value communication. I value relationships, um, and I saw the opportunity to come in and and you know provide a five percent increase in in some of the things that they were doing, or or a, a marginal increase in in the, some of the things they were doing because some of the established processes and some of the established um, uh, way things were done were were good, and I wanted to kind of like help that as opposed to change or shift dramatically mm -hmm. um, because the staff members there my relationships with them was important to me and the communication dynamic is such a critical thing working in the front office between the front office between the coaches between the the, the business side between the community and it's something that I think is is a huge area of opportunity um, I didn't know what to expect uh, but every one of those guys have delivered on on what my expectations were and they've met my exceeded my expectations in in some ways from their their willingness to communicate too so i just felt like it was important to set that tone um going in because it's kind of who i am as opposed to uh 
you know, set the tone of, um, you know, the demanding boss that was going to come in and change things. Yeah. I just didn't think that would that would be appropriate. And um, we've gotten a good rapport, a good communication dynamic established, and there's only room for for growth going forward. So you, along the way, you've you've learned from mistakes, you've learned from success, you've you talked about a process, like you you have ways of doing things that you hope lead to success. If this Minnesota Timberwolves team, whether it's this one right now or next year's or whatever, like if we keep heading in the direction that all fans want to head in, yep. if this iteration of the Wolves succeeds, if Tim Connolly is in his spot and Matt Lloyd is in his spot, if this Wolves team gets to where everyone wants it to go, what are the things that you think will have fallen into place? Like, what is the process that, damn, that was it, that got us there? Yep, I think knowing this group. there's a couple things. That's another really good question. There's a couple things. It's, it's really um, his personality kind of like uh, almost injecting organization-wide. He's Tim's, just Tim's, yep. yeah, Tim's personality and injecting corporate. He's, he is an incredible communicator, a relentlessly positive person. Um, there's always a way to change things for the better. Um, and if you look at the record uh, of, of like his draft picks over the, la of the previous nine seasons, his free agent mm -hmm. signings over the previous five, nine seasons, um, combining that with some of the other staff members that are, that are that brought on board, combining it with the existing staff, combining it with the, the caliber and quality of the coaching staff, um, it's going to be because the communication dynamic is A, number one, A plus, everyone trusts one another to that they each have their best interest in mind at all times. And um, we continue to hit on draft picks. We continue to hit on player development, a critical part of the modern NBA player development. Um, and he has won about the one of the best I've, I've ever seen at, um, at communicating with the yeah. players and holding them accountable to that communication. Uh, I've had the great luxury, the great pleasure, the great honor to have worked with four different GMs that have been the executive of the year. And I've been able to take something from each one of those four. Um, the, the two people I worked with in Orlando, Jeff Wellman and John Hammond, they really taught me a lot about um, interacting with the players, interacting with the coaches, applying that um, accountability organization-wide. Organization uh, I've taken something from each one of those guys. And Tim, like he really um, encapsulates all the best qualities of all those guys. And, Chris Finch encapsulates all the best qualities of the many NBA coaches, head coaches that I've worked with. So we have a really, really good opportunity here. We have really a, a strong core and group of players that we're going to hold accountable to reaching their ceiling. Um, and Tim's one of the best I've, I've ever seen mm -hmm. at that. A lot of those things I've heard from so many people about the yep. leadership and the communication and, yep. and all of the positives. Yep. And he's humble. He would never say that. That's and, true. And so yes. it, it takes someone that has observed him for me for 18 years, 19 years, observed his growth, watched it like um, intimately and closely at every stage to see, you know, he's 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 got a knack for the things that are really important in the NBA, communicating directly, communicating responsibly. Um, and he's got uh, uh, the great quality of, of being able to identify players. I think I can help him fill in gaps. I think Del Demps can help him fill in gaps and, and, and things, but allowing him to do the things that he's really good at is like my focus. Um, and being able to, to kind of to fill those gaps and fill those areas, the things that um, the modern GM is 
the inputs that they're getting all the time in, in the modern NBA. It's just crazy the amount of communication they have to deal with. And he's very good at dealing with, with players and coaches. You uh, off the court. You have a life off the court. Like you allow yourself, <laughs> I assume, to, to take a step back. But your wife is Courtney and you, yep. you've been married for. We've been married since 2000. Yep. Okay, so 20 plus years. Yeah, whatever years. that number adds up to at this point. Right now, yeah. 22, <laughs> exactly. depending on when you got married. But um, what what kinds of things do you do? Like, what is your life outside of basketball when you're fully away? Um, so, yeah, that's a that's, a, that's another good question, too, because I might be embarrassed by the answer. But, um, you know, our... We, Don't we, tell me you're we, taking her to, to wrestling. No, we're not going to wrestling. That, that, that kind of, that phase is, that's, that's phased out a little bit. We... Um, you know, we're really involved in our in our nephews' lives, in our niece nieces' lives. We have three nephews. We have a niece. Um, they kind of serve as our like almost surrogate kids, and so we are able to um, watch them grow. They're in the the three boys are all in high school now. In Chicago. Uh, there's two of them in in Cincinnati, Ohio, and one in Chicago. Um, and our niece is going to be in high school in 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 two years, but I think she thinks she's in, you know, college <laughs> at this point. She's she's 12 years old. So. Um, we are involved in their lives. We're involved in our family's lives. And um, my wife's made a really big commitment to everywhere we've been the last 10 years to be you know, involved in the community. And embracing the community is something I'm really looking forward to here in Minneapolis. We haven't like cycled our lives here yet to Minneapolis fully. We're kind of in between still. If the, the um, getting hired, getting um, uh, onboarded, getting all that sort of thing was uh, a little bit more difficult to handle than if you threw in a house and buying a house and stuff. We just hadn't had an opportunity to do it sure. yet. So she's back and forth um, for this year. It's the same kind of strategy we implemented in Orlando. She kind of got a sense of it moving from Chicago to Orlando after two years. But um, yeah, we're really involved in our family's lives and, 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 and you know, just trying to uh, get the, as much of experience with our nephews and nieces as possible along with our um, sisters and brother-in-laws and our moms and dads and, and, and that sort of thing. It's a little bit, I was thinking about Thanksgiving. Uh, I was at a scouting event on Thanksgiving and I think in the last 24 Thanksgivings, I maybe have had a family meal maybe twice. And as I had my slice of pizza at the Moda Center, I, I was thinking a lot about my, my family and uh, their, um, their, the involvement we have with them is, is, is really, really important to us. Love it. Um, <clears throat> we, let me get my sheets in the right order. We like to end our episodes with a kind of a random five questions to just dig into parts of, the, of your life that wouldn't necessarily show up in my research. So just randomly, yep. what are some of your least favorite foods? Ooh, least favorite foods. I'm not a persnickety eater. And so um, I have been like so impressed with the restaurant scene here in Minneapolis, and yeah. maybe it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit having gone from Orlando to Chicago to Orlando back to to the Midwest and stuff. I've been so impressed with the the um, the, the the restaurant food scene here. Gosh, my least favorite foods. Um, oh boy, I would say. Like if you ordered yours, hold the, yeah. Or put this on the side. I, I really have. I'm like Nothing. such a bland eater. Really? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, th I would try anything. I don't like spicy food. Spicy food okay. is, is something I can, I can, I can definitely do without. Um, but 
I'm adaptable. I'll do. Okay. I'll eat anything. Okay. I, I, try, I didn't try sushi until maybe five years ago, and now I can't get enough of it. <laughs> no, you love and it, it just it didn't. It just never came up. You know. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything out okay. off the top of my head okay. I can think of other than spicy food. Do you want to tell us your favorite food then, or is that a long list? That is probably a long list. I really like I really like sushi. I really like uh, Mexican food. I really like um, the normal like kind of burger and fries, but maybe not not a fast food one, but but a gourmet a, a gourmet yeah. one type thing. Um, but again, like not okay. a, not a persnickety yeah. eater enough to have a, a favorite or Got a, dis, you. a disfavorite. Got you. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Probably, um, if as when you're in the 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 season of scouting and the cadence of scouting, you have to almost be a night person mm -hmm. because um, you have to be kind of focused from seven till ten p.m. every night and the attention to detail and kind of observing things. Um, I read a book two years ago about sleep and the importance of sleep in in your life, and I've kind of been so. Um, kind of managing my sleep process every night. So I probably have become a morning person. I didn't, I don't think I could have labeled myself a morning person until like the last three years or so. Um, but in the nights when you're scout and you travel, mm -hmm. it's night, 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 get up, take the first flight, get on to the next thing, night, night, night. And so you have to kind of manage your sleep a little bit differently, but I would say morning person now. Okay. And on the heels of that, how do you take your coffee? Oh, I, I am, again, another thing, probably the last 15, 10, 15 years, I've become a massive coffee person. So I try to avoid sugar, and so I'll take like non-sugar, sugar-free vanilla um, with almond milk. And I will go seek that out anywhere, at a chain, at a, at a, at a coffee store. It's fun to Yelp when you travel to these mm -hmm. different places. Sure. The, yeah. one thing, the one thing I will afford myself is a really good coffee spot. And, um, if I can find a really good coffee spot, I will seek that out. If it's three miles from the hotel, if it's five miles from the hotel, if it's 10 miles from the hotel, I will go find that. I found a good couple good spots here in Minneapolis that I'm like uh, hooked on as well. Do you have any superstitions? Yes, I get a little bit um, sideways when uh, um, the unlucky number 13, and I think that I'm pretty sure that is from playing um, uh, um, that basketball game growing up where if you got 13, you had to go back to zero. I'm 100% I'm sure that is what okay. has subconsciously seeped in my head. <laughs> if, if you get to 13, you have to go back to zero. Um, so if I'm sitting in the 13th row on the plane or if I'm uh, – luckily I didn't live in the 13th floor in the building that I'm in. They have a 13th floor. Yeah, some, but, don't, I mean, some hotels don't. Some hotels, hotels don't have 13. Don't have 13 uh, my, my building in Minneapolis has a 13th floor. Luckily I ended up on 11. But uh, that is one I, I think – superstitions I like to have um, I don't like things in my pockets when I'm scouting I don't like to carry things in my pockets okay. cell phone keys yeah and they'll go in I'll try to carry a little tiny bag um, but no nothing nothing too random other than the 13 okay if I was on flight 1313 yeah. 13, I'd probably would change my flight for example I would be We're to I, that level I would really? be like yeah a little bit it's 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 a um, I think it's I don't know. Probably the reaction to anxiety, a subconscious reaction to anxiety. Is there karma? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like I guess so. I guess so. But yet, my favorite number is three. So it's uh, it's a definite conundrum. Okay. Final question: Best birthday present or Christmas present you've 
ever gotten outside. We we know about the yeah books, that that book, but that, like a kid, like it's a on the bike list. type of kid, yeah, uh, birthday or Christmas that just really sticks out to you. I got um, when I for the Christmas when I was twelve years old, I got Nintendo, and I'm oh, pretty sure game changer. It was the greatest gift I'd ever gotten. I I know I had asked for it, and I think when you get to be twelve, Christmas is still like really fun and everything, but you're almost a teenager and. You kind of have seen behind the curtain to a degree, and uh, um, I'd asked for a Nintendo. I think some of the kids on my street had Nintendo, and um, I got Nintendo. I think I stayed in my bedroom playing Nintendo for seventy hours in a row. Oh. I don't think I came out for a week. Seventy. Yeah, I, it was it was the greatest oh. gift I've ever gotten. I'm pretty sure it's the greatest gift I'll ever get, just because I was I was so um, I, I so desperately yeah. like wanted Nintendo and. I know the games I was playing too. I was playing Mario uh, Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mario Brothers. I was playing um, Nintendo Pro Wrestling. I was playing Nintendo Baseball. Um, anything sports related, uh, I was playing it along with Mario. And the the feeling of exhilaration that you feel when you solve Mario Brothers is not, uh, not matched. It probably took me about a year. It took me my neighbor coming over, showing me all the the tri the, yep, yep. the hip the the what? tips and tricks. But, but you did. You, yes, when you finished uh, Mario okay. Brothers, it is a, it's a scene, man. Like that was uh, yeah. that was one of the greatest feelings ever. Congratulations, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, it was a, I appreciate it. It yeah. was like one of the great accomplishments of my life for sure. So, oh wow, um, you are a super interesting human being, <laughs> I and I just that. think it's fascinating that you, as a kid, were just obsessed with basketball and details and even creating your own WWF stuff. And you have somehow parlayed that into a very good and very interesting job. Yeah. So well done. It's coming full circle. For I, you. I really appreciate it. And I believe me, it's I never lost on me. Um, the um, influence of luck and the influence of, um, you know, good fortune. And, and every day I just try to be the best version of myself and, and, kind of exude a, a level of positivity and communication just to help all my teammates. So I really appreciate the, the comment. Well, it shows. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks, Thank you Matt. very much, Marnie.